Hi there, my name is Richard Clark from Drinks Unlimited and the Smash brand. I'm here today to talk to the Delicious Journey, the podcast. Hello there and welcome to Delicious Journeys, the podcast. I'm Maria Reed, and this is the show where we'll be talking to various founders working in the food and drinks industry. A massive welcome to Richard Clark, founder and MD of Drinks Unlimited. How are you today, Richard? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm all the better for seeing you. I'm very glad that we're managing to do this podcast together. At last. At last. <laughs> so formed in 2017, Drinks Unlimited, cleverly spelt D-R-Y-N-K-S, is a British craft drinks business that focuses 100% on producing 0% drinks. Now I've got mine in front of me. I've opted for the berry cider for today. It's Tuesday and I'm feeling fruity. So cheers to you, Richard. Cheers to you. I hope you enjoy it. I'm very excited. Before we get into the nitty gritty, to kick things off, Richard is going to share with us an interesting story he's experienced as a founder. And I'm going to drink while I listen. So my story was when I was a student, actually. Actually, my first job after being a student, I was never the biggest drinker. Uh, My friends were very good drinkers. And I had the problem of trying to keep pace with their drinking escapade. So quite early on, this idea of controlling my drinking whilst having fun was always at the top of my agenda. So how can I how can I have fun but at the same time be with my friends but be in control? The way I did it many, many years ago, and it happened on more than one occasion, I would have what was called Swan Light, which was an alcohol free drink then and I used to pour Swan Light into a pint glass Mm. behind my back or in a corridor away from my friends and just be seen to drinking lager. Problem was I was often in the corridor pouring the Swan Light into a glass and my friends always used to say they never saw me around. That's what I was doing. But, but the other story was, um, um, it, it, it related to being a student, was when Les Norton and I were researching and looking at ways of dealkalizing. the funniest thing was, was it was a very hot summer of 2018, and we were in a fantastic brewery called Holden's, who were fantastic at the time in helping us do research. But the problem was it took so long then with the machines that we had, and we fell asleep, both Les and I, and we, we, we fell asleep on the beanbags, only woke up like a student does, because the light sunlight came through the roof of the Holmes Brewery. And it felt like I'd been, I was so tired, it felt like I was at a party. In fact, we've been looking at how to dealkalize drinks overnight, waking oh up, God. because the sunlight hits your face. That's a nice memory to look back on. I absolutely love that. So Richard, let's start at the very beginning. What were you doing before you launched drinks and how did the idea for your business come about? I was involved with alcohol for many, many years. And despite the fact I mentioned to you that I'm not the biggest drinker in the world, I do love my alcohol, still do. I was never the biggest drinker. And even when I was working with cause, it was that looking over the bars, um, tiptoeing as you do, Mm. to see over the bar, see what drinks you could have and do your job in, in, in the pub trade. And it all started then was looking for options to drink when you were driving and working. And it all started 30 years ago. Uh, I told you the story about being at college yep. uh, and not being the biggest drinker then. Always looking for what can I drink? Right. And now look what you can see today. Many, many, many quality options. So it all started with bass and that feeling of what can you drink when you can't drink? 
it was always with me that phrase sub- subconsciously uh, and then what happened was in 2017 I was quite poorly to role play a number of years in the alcohol trade launching a few well-known brands that you probably heard of like Crabbage and Jabir, Whitney Neal Gin, mm-hmm. Caffrey's to name but a, a, a two or three. It was a case of, I was, I was quite poorly in 2017 and I said to my brother when I come out of the hospital I've got to start doing my own business and this phrase again came into my head. Mm-hmm. And people say, do these moments happen? They do. It was that moment of, I have to do something. And this was in my, it was a bug I had to do. And thanks to the support of guys called John Thornton uh, and Les Norton and Paul Alexander and Alex Kennedy, all at the start in 2017, helping me uh, realise this idea that I had. Uh, and they've all been great supporters in, in this small team from, from day one. So the idea was written down on paper on a Saturday, rainy Saturday afternoon in Rochdale, uh, and it became a business plan, and it became an idea. And then we started uh, thinking about brand names and what the drink would look like. And that's when we started researching different ways of making alcohol-free drinks. And I told you about Holden's, where we did some great research there in Walsall, a great company. So it was really 2017 up until 2019, uh, the back end of 2019, that's nearly three years, mm. whereby we did all this research on brand names, trademarks, and liquid types and how to make it. Mm. So it was that three-year journey. It wasn't an overnight, let's mm-hmm. go and do it. It was three, three years of hard work by a lot of people that I've mentioned. Yeah, I see. And was the journey anything you imagined from when you had your light bulb moment? Was it completely different to what you did envision back then? Uh, it was easier working with a great team yeah. With Cabbage and Jabir and Whitney Neal Gin and Caffrey's, it was a lot easier. But this, this and the reason for the, I could say that was we're a small team, we're still a small team. It's a new category. Um, uh, many consumers don't know what they want yet. That's uh, and, and they're still trying to establish what do they really, really want. Um, there's some drinkers who know what they want, but that's a small proportion. Um, and because of that. All brands, including ourselves, are working out what is our future plan? What is our purpose? What are we offering? What's our point of difference? And how are we going to have a business plan moving forward? So because of all those things, uh, those areas I've mentioned, it's a lot different than being in a mature category when mm. new products come in. So how would you define the mindful drinking trend? See, I'd, um, mindful drinking... That that is a a nice phrase. I don't tend to use that phrase. Mm-hmm. I just tend to uh, tend to use the phrase of um, it's a drink. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a drink in the same way. So when I hold up a bottle of smashed pale ale in a pub, it could be a bottle of a beer. It's no different. And there you go. Got it in front so, of me. <laughs> so for me, it's all about occasions and lifestyle choices yeah. and the positive choices. And sociability. So mindfulness sounds like you're in the background and you're uh, retrospective and you're not in the centre of the crowd. Mm. What I think a lot of brands are trying to do in the alcohol-free no-low market is be part of the crowd, be sociable, mm-hmm. be part of that flex drinking, if you like. Mm-hmm. So for me, it, it, I just say, what, what do you want to drink? And yeah. I just say, I'll have a smashed. And if someone says to me, so you're not drinking. I am drinking, but I'm doing something else afterwards yeah. or I'm going somewhere afterwards. Yeah. So 
it, for me, it's a positive choice. It's, it's not a negative choice. It's not an excuse. Yeah, exactly. It's positive in the sense of even physically, mentally, financially. But then hopefully there will come a time where there's there's less judgment and more encouragement with it. So you wouldn't have to ask that question of why you're not drinking, because I think that's probably one of the biggest things a lot of non-drinkers or just people who are drinking alternatives get annoyed about is that why aren't you drinking? You shouldn't have to ask that question. It's been a roller coaster for years for the drinks team with their mission to create a portfolio of alcohol-free brands that deliver ethically sourced, authentic and natural tasting drinks that will let drinkers forget that they aren't drinking something alcoholic. So drinks has their smashed range, which are vegan friendly, lower calories, no artificial sweeteners or preservatives, and the cider drinks are also gluten free. So the range consists of their smashed lager, citrus beer, apple cider, berry cider and pale ale. But um, for those who don't know, what is the difference between low and no alcohol and what percentage determines an alcohol free drink? Yeah, so um, that's, that's an interesting question and a question that can tie people up in, in knots. Uh, all it means is it's, there's different ways of doing things. Maria. Um, we do what's called top down. So um, and that means it was alcohol once, whether that's beer, lager or cider or wine. Uh, but it ends up being 0.0% um, on a label that's out, classes alcohol-free or 0.05, technically on the back label. And that's the, law, that's the law in the UK. But we just talk about it as being top-down beer, cider and lager, um, with the idea that hopefully some of the characteristics of real alcohol, beer, lager and cider, are retained through the process we use. Um, um, there are some great products that are 0.05 and there's some uh, alcohol free and there's some great products that are 0.5 that are called non-alcoholic. Um, for me, it's just a case of choose how, choose what your purpose is, decide how you're going to make it and then just make it. And whether it's 0.05 or 0.5, you decide and then tell the consumer. As long as you tell the consumer mm -hmm. and the retailer um, how you've made it, what you're making, what the end ABV is, as long as they know what the alcoholic beverage is, strength, that's all that matters. Yep, I see. And and who is your target market for alcohol-free rather than low alcohol? So in the past with alcohol, it's always been go for the 18 to 25-year-old market because that's where the business is. Mm -hmm. the, as with all consumers around the world we're finding, whether, whether in America, Canada, Dubai, Australia, wherever you are, ages, it, it's all about the mindset and lifestyle, lifestyle choice, as opposed to age. So for, for me, we don't go for demographic necessarily. So it's, a, it's about saying we're trying to introduce our brand to people who want to have fun, but can't drink alcohol. That's what we're trying to do. And then understand the occasions they can't drink uh, and where they might, which occasions they might drink, smashed. So whether that's in a coffee bar with a toastie or a sandwich, whether that's on an airplane, whether that's in a pub with, a, with food, whether that's uh, in the pub before you go home after work. Mm. Maybe it's the, the weekend treat where you, you sit down for an hour have a nice meal and you don't want 
a soft drink or a tap water. You want to have something, but you know you can't have alcohol. It's mm-hmm. tapping into those occasions rather than, as in the old ways of marketing and alcohol, which was demographics. Yeah, which brings me nicely on to how did you come up with the brand name and your tagline, Rethinking Drinking? So Ron Seal does what it says on the tin. Stuck with me with a guy called Richard Midgley from Ponderosa Agency in terms of really straightforward marketing and then communicate it well. And that's what I learned from Richard Midgley. And that Smashed was about, we could call it Smashed because we're not within the Portman Group's framework. Because we don't produce alcohol, mm-hmm. we uh, operate under food trading standards. So we don't operate like Heineken, San Miguel, Brewdog. We don't operate in the Portman Group. Um, so we, we come under ASA. So we could call it Smashed. Mm-hmm. And that was helpful because it's got some notoriety. It's got a point of difference. It's got memorability. When we did the research with the consumers in America, they liked it because they said, oh, you're smashing the alcohol to create your smashed brand. And they got that when you explain how the cool vacuum distiller works. We take out the alcohol without destroying the flavor. Mm. So, yeah, we're smashing the alcohol without destroying the flavor. So that's why smash was helpful you know to put it was easy to understand it was memorable it was differentiated rethinking drinking is about what do you drink when you can't drink and if you can't say those words that's what rethinking drinking means just think about what you're drinking be positive about what you're drinking if you want an out a beer have a beer and enjoy it mm-hmm. in certain occasions if you want an alcohol free have one on certain occasions and maybe you might mix on certain times. So it's just about, just think of again about what you're drinking, but enjoy it. What, simple yeah. as that. Yep, love it. And with the actual packaging as well with the branding, it really stands out and it's just absolutely brilliant. Did you have this vision in your head for what the smashed range would look like? Because they come so, in cans and bottles, but they all have the yeah. same. That's a great question. So again, the smashed brand is differentiated. as a It has a personality. You might say we're not a big company; we're a challenger brand, mm-hmm. um, and the and and the, the persona, the DNA, the design, hopefully communicates that same challenger, differentiated status. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's quite urban. Um, yes, it's it's got some alcohol cues, but it's not driven by alcohol cues, um, which some brands clearly have to be mm-hmm. that are uh, that have alcohol and no low brands in their family. Mm. Yeah, I love that it's got character. That sums it up as well. Um, so you kind of just mentioned as well, but Drinks is the only UK drinks business to invest in the state-of-the-art cool vacuum distillation kit, which gently dealkalizes full-strength drinks. So this produces delicious alcohol-free drinks that taste just as good as a quality alcoholic version. How did you first come about this technology? So Les Norton spent two and a half years with me up and down the country looking at various ways of doing things um, and they're all equally good ways of doing it but Les, Les Norton always challenge, always challenging himself if we're going to do it let's do it the best way mm-hmm. and it's almost like have a backstory that's real and genuine consumers increasingly are really savvy uh, and you know to say to say that it's been done with real beer and real cider and real lager we just like the idea of that the process we knew was being used in food. 
in the food industry in the UK. And we, we came across it in terms of we could actually use real, real alcohol. And it appealed to Les because of mouthfeel. There right. were many drinks in the past without naming the categories or the brands, whereby the, the mouthfeel after taking the alcohol out or despite trying to make an alcohol-free, it just lacks the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually um, substituted the mouthfeel that's not there with hops or sugar. Um, we wanted to avoid that for three, re- three reasons. Being genuine, mm-hmm. real beer becomes alcohol-free beer. We like the idea of that. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, uh, something like 100% beer, 0% alcohol. We like that yeah, that phrase. Secondly, sugar will become the next cigarettes, if you like, in terms of health. Be careful how much you have. And we're mm. mindful of that throughout. And the government have been with the sugar tax. Mm. And, the third, and, and, and the third thing for us was refreshment. So go back to my student days. A bit of fun here is, is the ability to have more than one of them and enjoy them is really, really important. So yes. the pub landlord has got the taxi, the taxi driver in the group. Rather than nursing one, you want him to have two or three with his mates who are having two or three pints. Mm. That ability to be Moorish, have two or three of them, refreshing. So refreshment as well as coming from the beer family or the lager or cider family is really important. So that's why. Yep, I see. It's really interesting. And how long does it take the whole whole process to dealkalize the the full strength? So the, the whole process actually. To, imagine how long it takes to make you a great a great bottle of beer or cider. That takes time, mm-hmm. days, weeks. So think of that time, mm-hmm. and then think of the time of dealkalizing it, which you have to add on. Right. So it takes longer and is more expensive and needs more equipment to make a bottle of smash than it does your favourite bottle of lager. Because you started with a great lager recipe, you've then dealkalized it, and that can t- take a day to do that, the dealkalizing bit. It needs to be settled in a storage tank, carbonated and bottled mm-hmm. or canned. So it takes longer, it's more complex, and it's uh, um, the, the, Les would say that uh, alcohol can protect the micro technology of the liquid with no alcohol with no alcohol in it's prone to micro issues and a couple of big brands have have uh, found out to their cost what they need to do better at that micro technology piece right so i was actually just going to ask so why aren't some of the bigger players using this technology in the uk because i know of one of them using it in the netherlands but not in the uk but would that be something that they might do in the years to come Maybe small companies seize the day, try and get ahead of the curve, yeah. and big brands follow once they know that the categories of significance. Yeah. So Heineken have said that 25% of their sales will be no low. Right. Um, that would be very interesting. And they're, they're doing a great job, Heineken, in terms of their NPD, their marketing, their positioning. Um, they're a great pillar brand to have in the category. Mm. We're very lucky to have them. And Guinness coming in is also good as another pillar brand. Yeah. Uh, and and the job of the of the smaller brands is to be differentiated, but pivot around what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. But stay true to themselves. 
I think if once the, the, the category shows significance, other brands will join. I see. And I think the advantage that you guys have as well is that alcohol free is all that you do. So you can easily know who smashed is and what drinks are. I think it's great not to be in. I think it's great to be free from the Portman group, free to be able to yeah. um, follow the ASA TV rules and mm-hmm. the trading standards in terms of um, nutritional labels, but yeah. be true to yourself in your personality. So I've previously heard you say, and you have mentioned it as well, that you were aware of the full potential of the alcohol-free market back in the late 90s. But why do you think it's taken so long for a wider range of consumers to be attracted to this market? And how are people's attitudes towards towards changing uh, with the alcohol-free market in the UK and globally? That's probably the most difficult question you've asked me. (laughs) Uh, why, Why is that? Why, why have some uh, breweries taken a bit longer than others? Maybe the breweries, I don't know. I'm second guessing, so I'll keep it short this. Maybe they don't think it's a, a, a category of significance. Mm. Maybe they feel their strengths are in alcohol, not in uh, pseudo soft drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, m- um, maybe they're waiting to see, is, is the consumer in for the long haul? Yeah, I so, see. So uh, there have been a number of false false dawns yeah. um, so I don't know the answer to that question all I know is I'm I'm glad I, as I guess some of the other small brands now in the category made the decision when they did to enter it yeah well from a consumer's point of view I think something that probably has helped with is social media because of the likes of YouTube and Instagram and it's just trending at the moment and it's cool not to have a drink so I think that's definitely helped in the last few years down to the outreach you can get with social media that you're right is that's quite a, a hard question to tackle and really understand i think youtubers and social media has played a big part of it yeah. but ultimately the product quality yeah is really important people can try once uh when they try it a second time it's, it's that's when you know you've, you've got something the quality mm. of products across across the piece has improved dramatically mm. And on the theme of rethinking drinking, pubs are starting to adhere to this concept as well, because Dublin is currently making the headlines with their alcohol-free Irish pub called the Virgin Mary. So you'll have a pub experience without the beer. Um, So it's brilliant to see that all the way over in Ireland, and hopefully we'll see that more throughout the UK as well. But do you think uh, alcohol-free and alcohol alternatives has increased or decreased during COVID? Because I've heard complete mixtures. Some people, some households are drinking way more alcohol drinks, and then a lot of people I know now who are just completely cutting it out. So what's your views on that during COVID? People are different. How people manage COVID was different. Um, and there's, there's no right or wrong or positive or negative mm. in this. It just happened. So I, I've seen some data that says that fewer people are drinking more during COVID. I've mm. seen more people are drinking less. Yeah. But they're just different groups. And yeah. it's about understanding what the occasions is of, of, of both groups. Why are some people, a small group of people, drinking more? Yeah. Why is there a growing group drinking less? Overall, the market is probably static. You yeah. clearly can't go to the pubs and the, and the take-home market has, has, has increased dramatically, as has online sales. But uh, everyone is different with different motivations. And it goes back to the point, I think, about lifestyle choices. 
and positive lifestyle choices. And our job as brand owners is to create as many positive lifestyle choices mm-hmm. uh, and make the consumers aware of those choices and what our brands are out there to access. Yeah. Well, what do you think are the main stigmas towards having an alcohol-free alternative or not drinking on a night out? And because you've experienced that yourself during your college years, but has that is that still the same stigma as it is today? I think the stigma is less. Um, students today don't know what it was like to drink no low brands in the 80s. They really don't know. Um, and so I, 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 I think the stigma is less there because they didn't access it and didn't directly access those products then themselves. I, I don't think it matters as much today. Mm. I, I, I still think uh, there are some young people who go out and have a few drinks mm. and get a taxi home or will do whatever. And there are those increasing number who don't and they have fun in different ways and whether that's whatever that happens to be so um i i think it is changing it's slow mm-hmm. um it is slow let's see what happens when guinness comes in next to heineken mm. um, and covid settles down in 2022 yeah what would you say to the people who say, oh, I, I would love to try drink less alcohol or I would love to drink an alcohol-free beer on a night out, but I just don't think I could? What would you say to the people who say that? I believe in flexi-drinking. I'm a big supporter of it. I think that um, I think the, the, the less we come across as being restricted and say it's either one or the other, and the more we attract people to try and flex, the more people will try no low or alcohol-free. So for me, it's encourage people, choose your favourite alcohol brand. But then if, if, so if you go to a wedding, for example, 12 o'clock and you get there, you don't want to have an alcohol brand, but neither do you want a soft drink. So have a no low. So again, it's just encouraging flexi drinking, encouraging people to look at what they're drinking when they're drinking it. Yeah. And that's a, a really important part. Yeah. As time moves on. That's really good advice. And I'd probably say just... Just you don't need to tell everyone as well. It doesn't need to be something that you can, you have feel like you have to voice to everyone. I think just try it yourself, see what happens, and then and then take it from there. Just be confident within yourself, not having to to voice that you're not drinking or you've got an alcohol free alternative. And I think that's why it's important. Accessibility and availability is brand owners sharing their positivity, their experiences with retailers to give them confidence because mm. that's the the big thing for me is. It's the brand owner's responsibility, no one else's, to give them confidence that consumers, if they see it, will buy it, will try it, will come back for it. Yeah. So it was said during your Dragon's Den pitch back in March 2020 that the global non-alcoholic beer market is due to double by 2024 and be worth $25 billion. Is it still looking that way to you? I can say so. Yep. (laughs) I mean, a lot's happened since Dragon's Den, March the 8th, 2020. A lot's happened. Yeah. Got some, I've got a few grey hairs now. But um, it, it, it will grow, and it is growing internationally. Mm-hmm. But every, every territory is different and treat alcohol-free differently. Yeah. And there's the challenge again. But we've started that journey, as have a few, uh, some, some other brands. Mm-hmm. So as a founder of a drinks company, you'll have had to pitch to many, many buyers in your time. So do you remember your first ever pitch and what was that experience like? But alcohol-free or for anything? Well, let's do alcohol-free and then, and then you feel free to say for anything. And, and if there was a difference, if, if pitching first actually helped when you actually pitched for the alcohol-free market, if you'd learned, learned some lessons. Well, 
I'm going to mention a, a gentleman called Peter Newton at Booths. Mm. And I, um, I was taken in by the National Account Manager called Paul Bradford to uh, present Crabbage and Jabir. <laughs> and uh, that was amazing. It, it, was, it was an amazing uh, couple of weeks because then we went to Waitrose yeah. and presented it. And it was the euphoria of actually a brand new product like Crabbage and Jabir getting a mm. listing. And then going back in terms of booths, getting an alcohol-free listing with, with booths. Yeah. Pete Newton's very supportive of quality products, small small companies. Um, we showed him how the machine worked. He, was, he listened. Uh, he took note. And he gave us an opportunity uh, with the right commercials to uh, support Smashed. So it was quite interesting, that, that, uh, that turn of events in terms of how that happened, Crabbage and Jabir, and then uh, Smashed. Yeah. Um, so how did I feel? Nervous, mm-hmm. and then euphoria afterwards. I was watching uh, Paul Potts, the, 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 the guy who was on uh, Britain's Got Talent, yeah. and it, it's a feeling of you just don't know what you've got, and then someone says that they like it. It's like, oh, we've got something. And it's like, <laughs> wow. And then when they said they like Smashed, it's like, great yeah so it's it's a great feeling but you assume nothing and, 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 and until and then you get some online messages saying it's great i want some more it's a great feeling yeah. or you see in a shopping basket in sainsbury's mm. oh that's the brand we've created as a team yeah that's a great feeling yeah well, you must have some pinch me moments as well definitely and talking of a pinch me moment dragon's den so as mentioned in march 2020 you entered the den so what made you decide to go on the show in the first place so we're in selfridges mm-hmm. uh, sampling mm-hmm. and uh, it was saturday afternoon and this lady came and thrust her business card in. she sampled the drinks um while some of my back was turned and then just gave me this business card and said um would you would you like to come on Dragon's Den? Wow! Um, uh, but you have to go through an interview process, and it's quite it, it is quite prolific. Hmm. But I, I love what you're doing, and so that's how it started. So I, it, it, it that it came to us by chance. That's amazing. Uh, so I went through a, a, a big process, hmm. um, uh, uh, and it was a uh, it was very nerve wracking. It was a very, it was a very hard three and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I heard it took three hours when they just show you 15 minutes on the TV, but is that three hours of literally standing in front of them asking you questions nonstop, or is it just a lot of different edits and filming? It's three hours of filming. uh, um, And I was with, uh, supported by a colleague called Paul Briscoe. He was, he was great on the day. It was a full day. We were last on, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, got there at six in the morning and when the doors opened, uh, it was, I said to myself, what the heck am I doing here? It's almost like I wanted the, the, the floor to open up, but you can't go back then. Oh, you I can't go back. Me. And uh, it was tough. It was tough to the point of view. There's a piece on the, on, on the program whereby Peter Jones it was quite interesting, his, his questioning techniques. And he said, with all these offers you've been given mm-hmm. i question whether and there's like a silence it's almost like whether it's really non-alcoholic <laughs> and my mouth on the on the film is still open so i'm thinking what's he going to say and paul briscoe far sharper than me 
got it straight away. And I'm still like w- waiting for the punchline. Paul smiled. I'm still like, what's he going to say? <laughs> so that, that was nice when he, when he said that in terms of, because he wanted evidence that it was alcohol free and he got it yeah. as well. So that was interesting. Oh, you had really high praise though in, in the den. So Peter Jones also said about the IPA that I think that's remarkable how close it is. Deborah Meaden said that tastes really good. And Peter Jones was actually going to, he wanted to offer you the pitch, was um, offer you the money, sorry. But then Zara and um, Deborah both offered you 125K. But it was Zara who who won it in the end with a 125K for 7.5% equity in the business. Uh, what was the aftermath like? It, it, yeah, the rest of it we'll, we'll, we will keep secret of what, what happened. But just to say it was, it was a, yep. a long day for many conversations afterwards. We're, we're very lucky we got asked to go on. Yeah. We're very lucky we got through the interview interview process, Paul mm-hmm. and I, and we're lucky that Paul and I, we lasted three hours. Did you have much time to prepare for, for it before you went on? Well, we had all the day. What became a, a, a big, chunky presentation became like, you've got 30 seconds to say your bit. Oh, my goodness. What advice would you give to anyone, any new members heading into the den? Uh, believe in yourself, believe in your product, understand what the point of difference is. Uh, not, not necessarily know your numbers, but know your numbers in terms of, is it commercially savvy, what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Is it sustainable? But then go back to the beginning to say, what's your point of difference? Yeah. And make sure you have fun throughout doing it because it becomes your, it becomes your lifestyle. Yeah, that's really good. And just how did you keep yourself calm as well? Because I can imagine it was very nerve-wracking, but did were you saying anything before you said, uh, what the heck am I doing here? What did you say to yourself after that? Did you just power through? Uh, it's, you always think about the, f- the fact it's recorded mm. and, it, and it's there forever to be listened to, thinking you've just got to be on your game. Know, know the value it has to the brand and the business. Yeah. If, we, if Paul and I come across as being um, a sound mind, of, of creative thinking mm. um, uh, be, be strong in ourselves in terms of how we answer questions be true to ourselves yeah well that came across definitely and it was brilliant to watch and you could tell from the dragons themselves they they had nothing but good things to say so how do you keep going in the face of rejection and how do you stay grounded when facing success because they're both the same really because it's a it's, it's a continuum because mm. we've we're on a journey. It's early stages um, in terms of w- whether it's a new customer or a big customer or a new country. It's it's all a journey and you have to be better than the previous day. And you have to remember that competition is improving all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you bring something out, then the buyer and the consumer is expecting what's next. And you always have to be moving forward and trying to improve your own performance, whatever it is you're doing. But there definitely is a lot more competition out there and the consumers are expecting a lot, lot more and they won't, can't expect you to just go, right, that's it, down mm-hmm. tools, we'll just carry on producing what we're doing in the same way. They're expecting more and more and more um, and it's that that drives you on mm-hmm. uh, in terms of trying to secure your place when this category becomes more secure and more consistent, more mature in the next two to three years. Yeah, lovely said. 
To round off this show then, in the words of drinks, what does enjoy life smashed mean? It means providing great drinks with great taste. It means always having an option, whatever the occasion. It means having a range of choice when you're not drinking. It means unrivaled production method. It means enjoyment for anyone who doesn't want to drink alcohol. Richard, is there anything you'd like to add to that list? Just make sure if you've never tried a NOLO drink, go out and try them. Go to a supermarket, go to a pub and try them because you might find it becomes part of your repertoire. It doesn't have to replace your drinking, but it can be part of your repertoire. And that's all I ask people to do is go and try them because some great brands out there uh, and, and be, be confident and positive about what you're trying. There's something for you out there. Lovely. Thank you, Richard. Drinks Unlimited are at the forefront of the alcohol-free category in the UK. Make sure to follow their journey and all their future projects. Richard, how and where can we buy your smashed range? Uh, if you're shopping, you can go to some parts of the co-op in the Midlands. You can go to Sainsbury's. Uh, you can go to Booze in the Northwest. You can buy it on our website, Drink Social. Of course you can. And we're increasingly, with the support of Kyle... Uh, Baldwin and Paul Newman in available in pubs increasingly now that the pubs are opening up. Amazing. And if anyone wants to find out more about drinks or wants to get in touch with you, Richard, what's the best way to do so? Well, I think it's through the it's through the website, through Drink Social. I'm not going to give my mobile phone number out. <laughs> oh, seven. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much, Richard. Very grateful for your time today. And it was great chatting to you. Thank you very much indeed. Lovely to see you again. Well, that concludes this month's episode. Thank you for listening to Delicious Journeys and thank you to Richard Clark, founder at Drinks, for joining me today and for sharing his valuable insights on building a better brand. Feel free to email me at maria at visionarygroupltd.com if you have any questions on today's episode or even just to say hi. Catch you next month and catch yourself succeeding on your delicious journey. Take care. Bye. Bye.